spirit war. I look at the church and I wonder how many actually get it. So this picture kind of illustrates a reality. There's a man standing there and behind him is this spiritual force holding a sword. And over here is a lion. And the Bible tells us that there's a roaring lion on the earth looking for one to devour. And it is this picture of, of Satan wanting to come after mankind. But inside of man, there is a spirit that has the access to the sword. And the sword of the spirit is the word of God. So I look at the church and I wonder how many of you actually recognize that around us, there are demonic forces. Demons, under the influence and power of the roaring lion imposter, who is Satan. Jesus is also a roaring lion from the tribe of Judah, but he's not the imposter. Many are dying in the spirit war. In this battle between good and evil, between God and Satan, do you understand that this battle doesn't find its origin on the earth? This battle between God and Satan finds its origin in heaven. It didn't begin here. It began in heaven. It plays out here, but it began in heaven. Many are dying in this spirit war, and they are dying because of the lack of truth. This is truth. What I hold in my hand, I believe to be the only physical source of absolute truth on this earth. And people are dying because of a lack of truth. The truth that would have set them free. Free from sin and free from death. The truth that would have made them victorious inside the spirit war. The spirit war. Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? That's how we ended last week. Who will be the legitimate? Not who thinks they're the children of God but the legitimate children of God, not just on earth, but in heaven as well. This series will be specifically focused on how to survive the spirit war in the countdown to the last day. Over and over, I've said last week, and I'll say it today, that who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day, believing that we are on a countdown to a last day, And all creation is moving toward the end of that last day when something will happen. A revelation will happen. Most of my teaching in this series will come from the Apostle Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. This is the same letter that Paul clearly describes the reality of the spirit war that many churches then and now still refuse to acknowledge to their own destruction. So I begin today with the words of Paul to the church at Ephesus, and this is the end of his letter. It's chapter 6, verse 10. This is his conclusion. A final word. Be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm. So that you will be able to stand firm against the strategies of the devil. 
For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Our battle is not with each other, not with the people on the earth. This is not where the spirit war has its origin. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world and against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits, evil spirits in heavenly places. Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. And then, listen church, after the battle, you will still be standing firm. So I'll ask a question today. Where will you be after the battle? Where will you be when the war is over? We closed last week with Paul's letter to the church at Rome, revealing that all creation is groaning in eager expectation for one final event. I like to put it like this, all creation, everything that God made from day one to day six, everything is rushing toward a final event, the conclusion of it all. Listen is when God will reveal the legitimate sons of God. That tells me there's a whole lot of people and authorities in heaven that believe they will be the sons of God, but they will not be. The children of God, but they will not be. Romans 8, 19, for all creation is waiting eagerly for the future day. It's a future time. It's in our future when God will reveal who his children really are. The purpose of this series is to reveal the spirit war, number one, and then to allow the truth of the scripture to show us how to be victorious and survive the spirit war so that we would be called the children of God on the last day. Jesus didn't send, ascend into the, into the heavens to sit at the right hand of the Father, to leave the church to fend for itself in this spiritual war. Let me say it again. <clears throat> we know the Bible is clear that when all power, dominion, and authority was given to Jesus, he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and there he has all power, dominion, and authority, but he has not yet exercised that power, dominion, and authority on the earth. Not yet. One day he will. Satan will be imprisoned, and Jesus will reign on this earth. But when Jesus went to the right hand of the Father, he didn't look at the church and say, good luck. There's a roaring lion roaming the earth, seeking whom he may devour. He didn't do that. He didn't send us, leave us here to fend for ourselves. No, the Holy Spirit did something. And Jesus is the Spirit. Spirit is Jesus. The Holy Spirit gave the Apostle Paul, the Apostle to the Gentiles, that's us. He gave the Apostle Paul some specific instructions for the church so that the church would have the ability, the knowledge and the wisdom to know how to survive in the spirit war. Now listen. Ultimately, the presence of the Holy Spirit is survival in the spirit war. 
So if you melt everything down, how, what's the key to surviving the spirit war? The presence of the Holy Spirit in me. Let me make sure you understand what that means. When I say the Holy Spirit in me, I'm saying Jesus Christ lives in me. And he who is in me is greater than the spirit that is in the world. That's how we survive the spirit war. Because he is greater than the spirit that's in the world. Ultimately, the Holy Spirit is the very thing that will declare us as the sons of God on the last day. The only way I or you or anyone will ever be able to call Abba, Jesus' Father, my Father, is that Jesus and I have become this. When I have become one with Him and He has become one with me, then we are one with the Father. We share the same Father. So when I say that, ultimately, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the very thing that will declare us to be the sons and daughters of God. Ultimately, the presence of the Holy Spirit is the only power. It's the only power on earth to survive the war that is raging all around us. And it is the Holy Spirit that's going to do something today. The Holy Spirit is going to reveal the Word of God to us today. It's not going to just be words on a page. The Holy Spirit's going to reveal God and His ways to us today. The Bible, specifically the book of Ephesians. So here we go. How to survive the spirit war and be a child of God on the last day. I call it session number two. The legitimate children of God are going to be the only survivors of this spirit war. Ephesians 4 verse 5. Let's jump in. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father who is over all and in all and living through all. However, <clears throat> he has given each of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Jesus ascended to the right hand of the Father, and he gave gifts. When he did that, he gave gifts to his people. Now, this is really important. When it says he gave gifts to his people, he is, this is only a reference to the church. His people refers to his people. That's the church. The Father has given each of us, each one of us, a spiritual gift through the generosity of Christ. So what are they? The gifts. And how do these gifts prepare us for the spirit war. What are the gifts for? Verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, 
Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue, what? This teaching of believers, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we, the church, will be mature, grown up in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. The standard of Christ is the expectation of Christ for his bride. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. These are generous gifts from God. Now, I want to tell you, when I was writing this, it came to my mind that when I was growing up, God gave me some generous gifts. I grew up in the church. There are some men that I sat under when I was a kid that were such a gift to me. They laid a foundation of truth inside of my life. In fact, I had a privilege this past week to preach at a church over in Spencer County. And um, I was preaching one night of their revival service, Wednesday night. And one of those preachers that had a huge influence in my childhood was in the audience that night. And I had the privilege of, from the pulpit, being able to acknowledge the gift that he was to me as a child. Do you understand that when Jesus went to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father, the Apostle Paul says that in that time he gave us gifts. He gave us people in our lives that would bring us to spiritual maturity, that would help us to understand the Scriptures. They would share with us what God had shared with them. These gifts are a high calling of God. And this calling comes with great responsibility. It says that he gave apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. That understand, it isn't just a gift without purpose. It comes with great responsibility. Jesus tells us in the scripture that to him much is given, much will be expected. Many preachers today have abandoned their true calling and become people pleasers instead of servants of God. I think it was close to 20 years ago. It was at the, I was here at this church. The church was very small then. And I was, uh, had a service. At the end of the service, there's this guy. He's gone on to be with the Lord now. His name was Bill Sayre. Bill Sayre handed me a little piece of white paper as he went out the church that day and said, I want you to have this. That paper, I read it, studied it, thought about it, and I eventually taped it inside the front cover of my study Bible that I keep on my desk. Here's what it said. The preacher. His throne is the pulpit. He stands in Christ's stead. His message is the Word of God. Around him are immortal souls. The Savior, unseen, is beside him. The Holy Spirit broods over the congregation. Angels gaze upon the scene, and heaven and hell await the issue. What associations 
and what vast responsibility. So I want to make something clear at this point in this five-part series. My responsibility is to equip you to survive the spirit war so that you will be called a child of God on the last day. I have no greater responsibility than for you to be standing on the last day before God as one of his children. Worldly preachers have led us to a worldly church. Weak and immature. Unable to stand against the devil's schemes inside the spirit war. This is the next verse, verse 14. Then, if you've been taught correctly the word of God, you will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Let me just give you an example of what he's referring to in modern culture. Now, a few years ago, there was this thing going around in a lot of churches that love wins. Love wins. The idea that somehow or another, love wins over truth when people can redefine love. And it was an issue of the homosexual agenda, same-sex marriage. Love wins. Now listen carefully. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Well, you know what? Love does win. But it'll be God's love, not man's love. Instead, this is the true church. We will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. He, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, makes the whole body fit together perfectly. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body, the church, is healthy and growing and full of love. Much of the church in America, let's be honest, is weak, immature, and unhealthy. Why? Because they are starved for the Word of God. The Bible refers to it as a spiritual famine of the Word. A worldly church will never be able to save people from the spirit war. Are you listening? A world, because the world can't save you from the world. A worldly church will never save the world in the spirit war. God called the church to come out of the world and be different by being born again in the power of the Holy Spirit. We were supposed to always, we were always supposed to be different than the world. Israel in the Old Testament was called out to be different than the world. And you know what that meant? The world didn't like them because they were different. Now, the New Testament comes, we're in the church age, and God has called the church to come out of the world and be different. And guess what? The world doesn't like us because we're different. 
We're supposed to be remarkably different. And that difference was the presence of the Holy Spirit. I've said to people over the years that if I don't know you and you don't know me and we meet somewhere, anywhere, it doesn't matter where, I hope and I pray that you would know in 15 minutes that I'm different. There's something different about me. That there's something different about you. There's something different about us. What? There's this Holy Spirit and in 15 minutes, it ought to show up in 15 minutes of conversation that there's something different about you. You're not like the world. This was God's plan for Israel. This is God's plan for the church. And this is how Paul describes the coming out of the world kind of a life. It's radical. Ephesians 4, 17, with the Lord's authority... With the Lord's authority, I say, live no longer as the Gentiles do. Now, he's writing to a Gentile church. So what does he mean? Don't live like Gentiles. But don't live like unbelievers, like you used to live. He's talking to us. Live no longer as unbelievers do, for they are hopelessly confused. Their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him, against God. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, this entire series, let's not lose the point, is to show the church how to survive the spirit war. Now, he's describing a generation of people who are lost inside the spirit war. Their minds, verse 18 again, their minds are full of darkness. They're lost. They wander far from the life God gives because they have closed their minds and hardened their hearts against him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. Now, here's the contrast. Here's the church. But that isn't what you learned from Christ. Since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. What's he doing? He's given specific, specific Holy Spirit instructions how you can survive the spirit war. Anybody listening? You throw off your old sinful nature, your former way of life, which is corrupted by lust and deception. Instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. Put on your new nature. Created what? To be like God. Truly righteous and holy. These are the legitimate sons and daughters of God. Do you see it? I'm asking you, do you see it? The contrast in those few verses, he describes those who are lost in the spirit war and those who are saved in the spirit war. The church that becomes worldly will never be able to carry out its true mission of Christ. 
The church, listen carefully, without the Holy Spirit is just a religious clubhouse, not the legitimate children of God. I feel like right now, right now, 2023, July 2023, we are in the midst of the great apostasy that the Apostle Paul describes. Now, let me make it clear. I've talked about it a lot over the years. The Apostle Paul says the return of Christ and the revelation, the revealing of the Antichrist that will reign on the earth during the tribulation, that none of that will happen until the great apostasy comes first, until the great rebellion of God comes first, until the abandonment of the Word of God comes first. And I have to tell you, I feel like we're in the midst of that right now, not like it's a future event. Maybe it's going to get worse. Maybe it can get worse. But I feel like we're in the midst of the great apostasy that, the Paul, that Paul wrote about in the Thessalonica letter. Now, that could bring me to the point of wringing my hands because I hate to see churches falling away into the darkness. I, I, I tell some people on staff, I just, okay, I read the newspaper or I read the headlines and another church has fallen and another pastor has fallen and another church has fallen and another pastor has fallen. Fallen what? Fallen into the darkness, fallen into the apostasy, falling away from the word of God and living under the authority of the world, this new word that's coming from the world. And then I come to know this, that this must happen. It is prophesied. It is prophetically announced in advance. So some, you need to understand that because the Apostle Paul says that it must happen before Christ returns. It must happen before the Antichrist is revealed. These must happen prophetically. But woe to them through which it comes. It's going to happen. That doesn't mean we're going to be a part of it. We're going to stand against it. We're going to stand for truth. But it's going to happen. The worldly church grieves the Holy Spirit. Grieves the very one that calls us to become the children of God. Do you understand that when the church becomes worldly, when the church steps away from this and begins to follow the doctrine of the world, which is the doctrine of the one who reigns over darkness of this world, the Holy Spirit grieves. Verse 30, do not bring sorrow to God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, He, the Holy Spirit, has identified you as his own. So I want you to get this image that when Christ enters me, when Christ enters you, when you are born again of the Spirit, when he takes residence inside your temple, inside your body, you are identified as one of his own. It's like you're marked. It's like you're sealed. It's like he identifies you as his son, as his daughter. Listen, guaranteeing that you will be saved on the day of redemption, the last day. Guaranteeing. God's desire today for everybody is to identify you as his own. A blood-bought child of the Most High God. These are the ones that will be saved on the day of redemption. We call it the last day. 
the children of God will be the only survivors. I, 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 can't, I can't say this enough. The children of God will be the only survivors of the spirit war. In the Gospel of John, verse 1, it describes the war and its progression. He, Jesus, came to the very world He created. Jesus is creator. He comes to the earth. He leaves heaven. He comes to the earth. So the creator of the earth comes to the earth, but the world didn't recognize him. Let's start there. The world overall. Number two, he came to his own people. Now he's going to come not to the world overall, but to the Jewish people. And even they rejected him. The Jewish people. Jesus is Jewish. They reject him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to be what? What? To all who believed him and accepted him, he gives the right to become the children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from whom? From God. These are the children of God. They are the reborn, blood-bought children of the Most High God. Reborn, born again. This describes a people that have died to themselves and were reborn, born again into Christ. Now, you have to understand that this reborn, born-again thing means death to you. Do you understand this is death to you? You cannot be reborn until you die. There'd be two of you, and that'd be all messed up. Do you understand that you must die, spiritually speaking? You must deny yourself, take up a cross. That is your spiritual death for him to come and live in you, to be born again. These reborn people don't live for the world. They live for Christ. Why? Because Christ lives in them. These reborn people aren't perfect, but they live in the redeeming power of the Holy Spirit. These reborn people don't try to live with one foot in the world and one foot in Christ. They know that's just stupid, that it's not possible. These reborn people live their lives to please God because the Spirit of Christ lives in power and authority inside their hearts. And in case you haven't noticed, maybe you have, we are slowly moving through the book of Ephesians. Did you notice that what I'm doing in this series is slowly taking you through the book of Ephesians, the Word of God. Next verse. verse it starts chapter 5. Imitate God. Who's he talking to? You. 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 Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children, be like your father. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice 
for us a pleasing aroma to God. So now he's going to get specific. Church, do not tune this out. He's talking to the children, the legitimate blood-bought children of the Most High God. And here's his instruction. Why am I doing this series? Because inside this series is how you can survive the spirit war. If you ignore him, you ignore the one who sent the messenger, the Apostle Paul, to write the instruction to the church of how to survive. Here it goes. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, the list continues. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes. These are not for you. We're supposed to be different. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. For a greedy person is an idolater. Worshiping the things of this world. So what's at stake here? In this spirit war, what's at stake here? Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? So I want to make a statement very clearly. The kingdom of Christ is coming. I don't know the day, I don't know the hour that it will arrive, but I can assure you of this. The kingdom of Christ is coming. And the children of God will be the only ones allowed to enter the kingdom of Christ. Is everybody got it? The kingdom of Christ is coming and the only ones who will enter that kingdom will be the children of God. Preachers have become silent and the church has become worldly. We're living in the American culture. It's real. Preachers have become silent and the world, the church has become worldly, unprepared for the most part to stand inside this spirit war. So let's just look at one verse, just one verse, verse three. Why am I doing this series? Because Paul, by the Holy Spirit, has revealed to us how the church can and will survive the spirit war. Let's look at verse three. Let there be no sexual immorality, impurity, or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Is that hard to understand? Do we not know what sexual immorality is? Do you not know what impurity is? Do you know, do you know what greed is? Such sins, they're called sins. They have no place in God's people, the children of God. Now, some churches would read that today and ignore it completely. And how? How would they come to such a conclusion? They would say, because I know this for a fact, because I've checked it out, they would say, here would be the doctrine, that grace is sufficient to cover my sin. As if somehow or another, grace is a license to sin. That grace is a sin license. That if I have the grace of Christ, that now I have 
a license to sin and the blood of Christ. If I, if I sin, I get grace. If I sin, sin, I get grace, grace. If I sin, 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 I get grace, 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 grace. If I sin, 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 sin. You see, always grace tops the sin. So it's like this idea that somehow or another, grace is a license to continue in sin. Now that'd be one position. Some churches read that today and they focus only on the felony sins. And they have this idea that some sins are felony and can send you to hell and other sins are misdemeanors and they send you to a hard day. Not hell. That there's, and, and by the way, they make this up. There's no such things as felonies and misdemeanors. All sin brings death. Sin is sin. Now listen carefully. Some churches read that today and they focus on the felony sexual sins, specifically homosexuality. Now I want to say this clearly. Don't misquote me. Homosexuality is a grievous sin. It is called in the scripture an abomination to God. So I'm not trying to make light of that. <clears throat> but there are some churches that will call out homosexuality and then the men of the church go home and watch pornography on their computer. If somehow know that they're participating in a minor misdemeanor while others are in felony sin. Or maybe it's this. <clears throat> Maybe you see homosexuality as a grievous sin, and yet you live together outside the covenant of marriage. And that's a misdemeanor. And what church will talk about that today? And what church is going to survive in the spirit war? Or, or, or maybe just the whole idea of fornication. Who even knows what that word means anymore? that God designed sexuality for men and women in the covenant of marriage. And forget what the world does, because the world's lost. But that can't be what the church does, because the church has found the truth. Bless you, Lord. So who will talk about this anymore? Who's going to survive the spirit war? And is the instruction of God his way to save you from the coming judgment of God? Some churches read that today. Oh, it gets worse. Some churches read that today and they cheat and steal in their business dealings like nobody knows. Like God doesn't keep any kind of record of that. Just felonies. Some churches read that today and they pretend like greed and the accumulation of worldly wealth is not a problem for the children of God. And let me just say this really clear. If there is a sin in the American church that I most fear, it's not sexual sin. It's covetousness. It's the accumulation of worldly wealth in the American culture. So just in case somebody doesn't get it, let me, make, let me tell you what Jesus says, Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up treasures here on the earth. That sentence in itself would shut down the 127 yard sales. <laughs> Don't store up treasures on the earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them 
and where thieves break in and steal. Don't, don't do it. Why do you say you don't do it? Why? Does he not want you to have anything? Don't do it. Don't do it. But instead, church, these are the survivors in the spirit war. Store your treasures in heaven. Where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. And wherever your treasure is. This is not about your stuff. It's not about your stuff. It's about something's taking control of your heart. You are pursuing something that's temporary and denying that which is eternal. You are ignoring the spiritual battle that's raging around you. The roaring lion that wants to eat you. You're ignoring it. Wherever your treasure is, there the desire of your heart will also be. Your eye. And then he does something, just blows me away. He says, your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. So for years, I've tried to use this illustration. The eye is the portal to the human soul. The ears are a portal to the human soul. I can take the Word of God. I can let it go inside my eye. It goes inside my soul. It's a portal through which the light can enter inside the ears. I can hear the Word. I can see the Word. It goes into my soul. So listen carefully. Your eye is a lamp that provides light for your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is filled with light. But when your eye is bad, when what's coming into you your pursuit of worldly wealth, when what is coming into you is filled with darkness. When your light, when your eye is bad, your whole body is filled with darkness. And if the light you think you have is darkness, how deep is that darkness? Why? Because you'll never know that what you have isn't light. You'll think it's light, but all you've got is darkness. And then Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. You say, yeah, I can. No, you can't. You can't serve two masters. For you will hate one and love the other. You'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus tells us, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet many in the church, in the church, spend their entire life in pursuit of worldly wealth, seeking the very thing, listen, seeking the very thing that will make it next to impossible for you to enter the kingdom of heaven. Does anybody miss that? Jesus said, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And yet church people, church people, spend their entire life in pursuit of worldly wealth, in pursuit of the very thing that will make it next to impossible for you to enter the kingdom. Why would you chase after the very thing he says will destroy you if you catch it? You can't love God in money. Don't be deceived. For years, this has been the scripture, a defining scripture. And let me tell you the most fearful people for this sentence is the church in the Bible Belt of America. Here it is. If the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is your darkness? 
the church and the Bible Belt of America. Listen, if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is your darkness? Why? Because if you think the darkness you have is light, you'll never repent and find the real light that would take away your darkness. Why all this? The Apostle Paul under the Holy Spirit gave clear instructions to the church how to survive the spirit war. How you doing? How you doing? You see, the legitimate children of God seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. The legitimate children of God flee from sexual sin. The legitimate children of God flee from sexual sin through repentance and the power of the Holy Spirit. The legitimate children of God flee from the lust of the flesh. The legitimate children of God flee from the lust of the eyes. The legitimate children of God flee from this sinful pride of self-life and cry out to God, save me! I have encountered the light of truth. Save me! Who will save me from this wretched body of sin and death? Save me! That's what the legitimate children of God do. The legitimate children of God don't spend their life accumulating worldly wealth. They, if God is good enough to give you blessings of riches, then hold it all in an open hand before God, knowing that naked we came from our mother's womb, and naked we shall return. The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Use your wealth to help somebody. Don't put your fingers on it and don't try to hold on to it. The legitimate children of God do not follow after idols. And you know what idols are called in the New Testament? You don't want to hear the next one, American church. You know what idols, idolatry is called in the New Testament? Covetousness. What is covetousness? It is an insatiable desire for more stuff. Anybody listening, church? He roars like a lion seeking whom he may devour. You can't have God and money. You can't, the pursuit of that will take you in one direction or the other. What's the problem with covetousness, which is idolatry? What's the problem anyway? Because it's a substitute for the living God. In 2 Corinthians 6, 16, it says, In what union can there be between God's temple and idols? Now, if, if the Holy Spirit lives in me, then I've become the temple that he lives in, right? So, what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will live in them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, listen church, listen church, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Do not touch their filthy things and I will welcome you. And I will be your father and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Do you see it? I'm asking. 
the spirit war. Who will be the legitimate children of God on the last day? Here it comes again. Therefore, come out from among unbelievers. Separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. And I'll be your father, and you'll be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. We live in a time of great deception. We live in a time of great apostasy. Preachers are preaching self-help nonsense instead of the word of God that would save them. Do you understand that all I'm doing today, all I'm doing today with some commentary, all I'm doing is taking you through the book of Ephesians. Do you see the power of the word of God? There are people here today, maybe watching online, that are being fooled by this world. You're being fooled by the darkness. The only survivors in the spirit war will be the legitimate children of God. All creation is groaning in eager expectation, waiting for a single event that everything is rushing toward. The day in which God will reveal the legitimate children of God in heaven and on earth. Somebody sent me an email this last week and they're saying, well, why do you keep saying in heaven? Jesus said, and I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. The book of Revelation reveals the day that there was war in heaven and Michael fought against him and the angel was cast and Satan was cast to the earth. Woe to you inhabitants of the earth for Satan is cast down to you and he knows that his days are short. There's a war in heaven and in the end of these days, the legitimate children of God will be revealed. Don't be fooled. In our time of waiting, in our time of groaning, don't be fooled. Next verse in Ephesians is this. Verse 6. Don't be fooled. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. I'm watching church after church after church, pastor after pastor after pastor fall, fall, fall. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse their sins. For the anger of God will fall upon them who disobey Him. Don't participate in things these people do. For once you were full of darkness, but now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. For this light within you produces only what is good, only what is right, only what is true. Listen carefully. When you receive, when you're born again the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean you're never going to sin again. It doesn't mean you're never going to fall. You're never going to stumble. You're never going to yield to the flesh. That is not what it means. But when you do, you know what the Holy Spirit's going to do? He's going to wear you out. He is going to wear you out. He will bring you under such conviction that you will turn and face God. The whole idea of repentance is you turn and face God. You turn away from the darkness, you go turn face the light. And you ask Him to forgive you, number one. And number two, you ask Him for the power to overcome that sin so that you won't have to do it again and repent again. His power. And what's the alternative? And if the light you think you have is actually darkness, how deep is that darkness? Don't be fooled. Not everyone goes to heaven. That's why I mentioned the most dangerous place to be in America is in the Bible Belt. I've never been to a funeral, and I've been to thousands where somebody said, I bet he went to hell. You know what everybody says? He's in a better place. 
Everybody's in a better place. Everybody dies because they're in a better place. You know, it's just a lie. It's just a lie. And I'm not recommending y'all go to funerals that I bet he went to hell. <laughs> just keep it to yourself if that's what you think. There's a case in the Bible where Jesus is asked specifically the question, how many are going to be saved? He knows the answer. I don't, but I'm, I'm listening to him. Lord, how many are going to be saved? What did he, he answer? He said, work hard to enter the kingdom of heaven. For many aren't going to make it. He says, for what? For the gate to the kingdom is very narrow, and the road is very narrow. Is there a construction problem in heaven? Why the narrow door and why the narrow road? Because the spirit war is real. And my greatest fear is there's people sitting in this room right now. You're in this audience right this moment. You're watching online right now. And unless something drastically, radically transforms your life, you're not going to make it. That is the purpose of this series. Don't be fooled. Not everyone goes to heaven. Only the legitimate children of God are going to heaven. Seek after the word of truth. Grow in spiritual maturity so that you'll not be fooled, so that you'll not be deceived. And if all else fails, let me just tell you the best thing to do. Fall on your face before God. Just fall down. Just fall down. And say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. In the name of Jesus Christ, save me. Save me. I don't know. I don't know what I don't know. So I know there's a name. A preacher told me about a name. That if I would say that name, if I would cry out to you in that name, you would rescue me from the fire of hell. Live your life with purpose. Live your life with meaning. Jesus says this clearly. Seek, knock, and ask. If you seek, you'll find. If you'll knock, the door will be open. If you ask, he'll give it to you. Lord, save me. In Ephesians 5 verse 10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil. Take no part in the worthless deeds of darkness. Instead, what? Instead, listen. Instead of just, there is no neutral. Do you understand? There is no neutral. No one's neutral. Take no part in the evil deeds of evil or darkness. But what do we do? Expose them. Expose them. It is shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret. But their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them. For the light makes everything visible. And this is why it is said, Awake, O sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. So this message of Paul today clearly describes how to win in the spirit war. Awake, O sleeper. Rise up from the dead. You're dead. Without Christ, you're dead. You may be walking, breathing, but you're dead. Awake, O sleeper. Rise up 
from the dead and Christ will give you light. Take no part in worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. Now, I'm a, I'm a realist. I live in the real world. Some people get very nervous when preachers preach like this. Some of you today can't wait till I'm finished. And you get real nervous when I start getting very specific, when I read very specific passages from the Scripture, and you get nervous. You know what I say about that? Good. It's called conviction. It is what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit says, take no part in darkness, but expose the darkness. Let me make it clear. Tolerance of the darkness is not a virtue. It is sin. Tolerance of evil is not a virtue. It is sin. Jesus said of all men, let me give you an example. Jesus said of all men born of women, none is greater than John. He's referring to John the Baptist. And you know what John the Baptist did? He got him killed. He called out the sexual sin of the king. He exposed his darkness. And somebody would say, you know what? But that didn't work out good for John. They cut his head off. Where's John today? That's when you understand the Spirit more. You see, John preached repentance to the king, hoping the king would turn and face God and be saved. You expose the light, not to expose somebody's sin, but so that person would see the light and turn and face the light. So here comes my closing today. I close this second session with Jesus' word to the church at Sardis. But I want to lay it over top of what the Apostle Paul already said to the church at Ephesus. I just read it to you. Paul says to the church at Ephesus, clear instructions about the spirit war that he speaks about in just a few verses. He says what? Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead. Awake, I'm looking at the church. Awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Now. Revelation 3, verse 1. Listen, Jesus to the church in the last days. Anybody listening? You want to survive the spirit war? Jesus to the church in the last days. Write this letter to the angel of the church at Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and seven stars. I know all the things you do. Let that sink in for a moment. It's all recorded. Do you know the Bible says everything you have ever done, everything I've ever done is recorded. It's all written down. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Wake up! Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. What do you think that means? What do you think it means? You're lost. I find your actions do not... Wake up! I find your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Here it is! 
Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly, as unexpectedly as a thief, which means what? You are lost. You are lost. If you don't repent, I'm going to come like a thief upon you. You are lost. Yet there are some. These are the blood-bought children of the Most High God. There are some in the church in Sardis that have not soiled their clothes with evil. And they will walk with me in white. For they are worthy. Not worldly. Worthy. All who are victorious. Here's the spirit war. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. And I will never erase their names from the book of life. Somebody say hallelujah. You know whose names are in the book of life? The blood-bought children of the Most High God. All who are victorious will be clothed in white, and I will never erase their names from the book of life. But I will announce before my Father and His angels, they are mine. They're with me. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what He's saying to the church. I'll ask Chad to come out for the invitation. I want to do something when we close here. I want to do a what-if game with you. All right, here comes the what-if. Everybody stay with me. What if? What if I'm a watchman? You know, God gave gifts to the church, and don't make more of the watchman than you need to. Watchman's just somebody called by God to warn somebody that something's coming. What if I'm a watchman? What if I'm a watchman? And what if you're in this room today, right now today, by divine appointment, that God put you there, you didn't put yourself there, God put you there, and He put me here, and He put this message between us. And what if, by divine appointment, you just heard the way to escape the fire of hell itself? That you just heard a message that clearly describes what you need to do to be saved to be a child of God and escape the judgment of God of the last day. And what if the return of Christ is this afternoon? I'm not saying the return of Christ is this afternoon. This is a what if game. And what if the return of Christ is this afternoon at 2.30? And you today, because of your pride, walk out that back door, you go get in your car and go home. And you reject the call of God to be born again of the water and the Spirit. And Jesus comes, He separates, eventually separates the sheep and the goats. You're a goat, you're thrown into hell. Here's my question. Here's my what if question. Who sent you to hell? You. God's not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. But if you hear the message and you refuse to repent and receive Christ, then you sent you to hell. He didn't send you to hell. You did. There are people in this room right now that need to repent and call, fall on your face before God and ask Him to forgive you. And maybe you need, we do this, this song in a few minutes, you need to come to an altar 
and you need to get real. It's not a game. And there are people in this room today that you, you've never been born again. You, you, you want Jesus to say, but the reality is you've never died to yourself. The master of you is you. And you need to give him control of your life today. Today. He, you, everybody wants a savior. I found very few people want a master. And maybe today you've never been baptized. Jesus says to be baptized. Maybe you, you're not, you've never been baptized. We've already, I think, got five people going to be baptized at the end of the service. In fact, I'm going to go back and baptize my son-in-law's brother here in just a few minutes. I'm going to baptize one of the five. Maybe you've never been baptized. Let me tell you, let's make something clear. A doctrinal. Baptism won't save you. If you think baptism is a hail shot, then you'll go to hail. Baptism is not a hail shot. But what saves you is being born again. And the scriptures say that we're to be born again of the water and the spirit. Just be obedient. Just be obedient to baptism. So I don't know what the Holy Spirit's going to say to you right now in this invitation, but we're going to sing a song. Will and Scott are going to be up front because I'm going to walk back there and get ready for this baptism. But whatever the Holy Spirit's doing, let's pray. Father, I recognize the urgency of the day we live in. And what if this is the very last opportunity that some in the room today will have to say, yes, Lord. So, Lord, I know my limits, and I know that you have none. So I pray in Jesus' name that you'll open the eyes of those who need to see you today. That you'll open the ears of those who need to hear from the Spirit today. That you'll open their hearts. They'll not be hardened, but they'll be made soft. You'll turn the hearts of stone to hearts of flesh, that they might hear, believe, and receive you. So move among us today. Awaken us. Awaken your bride. Put oil in our lamps. Light in our lives so that we can see clearly what you see. Our deliverers coming. Make your bride ready. And may we be the blood-bought children of God on the last day. We turn the rest over to your hands now. In Jesus' name. And amen. Let's stand together. We're going to sing another.